Ja, det är sist fort. I want to break free from this bullshit fucking quarantine. Well, Mert has joined the podcast. Gentlemen. Good day. Good evening. Good evening. This is unusual. It's night time. It's night making down under podcast. Podcast. So what do we got? Uh, Glenn Garriock, single malt. Yep. I got a Glenn Morangi. And Mert's got a beer. It's a fat yak, it looks like, from the neck. Yeah, it's a fat yak. This is un- this is only 48%. Is that cask strength, 48%? That's pretty strong. That's very strong. That's good. Puts hairs on your chest. And my balls. You should lend some to Mert. Look at his fucking bald head now. I had to shave. I had to cut my shave my beard off and get rid of the hair. Fuck yeah! I look so I look so like a fucking terrorist, and my kids will see the picture of Osama bin Laden on the TV. Like, Daddy, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've got a bit of a thing going on here at the moment, but I'm getting a bit of beard rough, you know, beard dandruff because I haven't like washed properly for weeks. So, oh fuck that! I'm gonna have to like, I'm gonna shave it. Yeah, it's hard, but. I got a feeling I'll have plenty of time to regrow it. Are we recording yet? Yeah, we've been recording since Mert started singing. <laughs> nice. Oh yeah. <laughs> the little numbers are red. Oh, I yeah. got it. Well, hello everyone. <laughs> we're um, we're we're recording a podcast at night, which is unusual. We're calling it a pubcast because each of us have our own uh, beverage for the evening. Uh, we have to say the disclaimer, Knife Making Down Under podcast is not responsible for the vulgar comments and offensive jokes that are about to happen, So, and we're drinking, so sorry. Sorry. Not sorry. Not sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. So, today, something very funny happened today, didn't Fuck it? you. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Well, you do because I'm about to. Okay, explain. okay. Here's what happened. I'll tell the I'll tell the real fucking truth. Yeah. I'll just have a so drink. So this morning, I'll have a drink then. This morning, I'm minding my own business. I'm I'm telling the guys, you know, oh, we've set up a group on Facebook. You know, get on there and, and do shit. And I get this message from fucking Kev, all sad and mopey. I just have to go back, scrolling back through a lot of messages where I'm calling him names. It's, it's pretty much like, I don't want to play with you guys anymore. Says, Screw you yeah. guys, I'm going home. There you go. It says this, fuckers, tough times equals tough decisions need to be made. I'm fucked. I've had enough of the uncertainty with being self-employed and this virus lockdown along with the past shitty few months has all but buried me. I've just accepted a job at Centrelink to help with the influx of corona assistance and won't be running classes or doing much knife making. I've lost the drive to keep going. I'm going to step down from the Knife Art Association, the Guild, etc. and won't be participating in the podcast either. Just have to work out if I keep or sell all the workshop. It's been an interesting stage of life. (laughs) You... 
fuck. So what it is is it's April first, April Fool's Day. You fucker. And I sent that message out to a couple of guys, and I sat back in my workshop, fitting me handles onto me hunter knives, and. Uh, you're such a sneaky bastard because you knew we all fucking lost track of the day and time and oh, all yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Till I looked at the phone, April 1, I'm like, fuck, cunt. I didn't look at the phone. I went into full help my mate out mode. I'm all fucking serious trying to help him. You did. I have to admit I was very touched by that, but I did send you, you some fucking hints. So I sent you some hints. Let's go. You've got to fucking scroll back. And I said... It just seemed like after I did it and you were all nice to me, which is unusual, you said, it just seemed like, I wrote, it just seemed like the right date to put it out there. And your response was along the lines, it's not, you're making a bad decision, blah, blah, blah. And I said, if I didn't say this to you guys today, then I wouldn't have said it. And then Karen wrote, what do you mean? And Mert wrote, I'm hoping this is an April Fool's joke. And then the following... Words from Corrin and both Corrin and Mert, I can't really repeat even in an R-rated podcast. <laughs> and I sat there and I fucking laughed. I sent that to you guys. I sent it to another little group chat and I sent it to my sister up in Sydney. And my sister up in Sydney, bless her, she rang me up. She was very concerned. I think she was nearly in tears. And I still did the same thing going. She was in tears. <laughs> she probably thought you were going to ask for money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like... Ah, oh, you're my brother, but I don't love you that much. <laughs> and then I said to her, I was saying the same things like, you know, she was talking about the virus, and I said, yeah, but don't think of the future. Think of now. What's now? And she goes, oh, it's April. I go, yeah, it's April. What day is it in April? And she goes, it's the 1st of April. And I'm like, yeah, it's the 1st of April. And then she started again, and I'm like, it's April Fool's Day. And then there's like this blank pause. And then a, a, a few swear words as well. <laughs> you had me going for ages. I owe it all to my mate, Jace Clark, because he put up a post on uh, social media that was just so obviously April Fool's that it was just like, yeah, fuck you. And then I went, oh, yeah, I got one going. <laughs> and then after about two pages of me calling your names, I, I said, I'm going to ring your neck next time I see you. And then you said... First, you want to ring ring me, then you want to ring my neck. It's like we're married. <laughs> you and then the funny thing was, as soon as I wrote that, you know what I started thinking about? I uh, don't want to know. When we shared a room in Kyoto. Oh. <laughs> but that was last, that... That was last episode. That was yeah, last episode. Yeah, we, we, we won't go there. <laughs> And that fucking toilet, that was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know, you know the funny thing is Ro. Some things that happen in Japan got to stay in Japan. But Ro asked me, we were talking about the toilet paper crisis and stuff, and Ro asked me because we were talking about, I was telling her about the Japanese trip podcast, and Ro said to me, did you ever use one of their toilets? And I started fucking laughing, and I said, well, I used one once. I said, <laughs> I fucking sat down on that toilet, pressed the button, and... Holy shit. I said, it was like a fucking fire hose at maximum temperature squirted me in the butt. And I said, I was like, holy shit. The walls were paper thin 
and I'm out there going, you're fucking loving it. You're just doing it for fun. You dirty fucker. Look at you squirting your ass. He's squirting your ass for a bit of pleasure and you're in there. How do I turn it off? How do I turn it off? It's It's speaking Japanese. I can't understand it. Which button is it? Which button is it? It's playing music for fuck's sake. I just wanted to stop. Anyway, Kyoto. No, I finished up my business and I come out and Cora's there. Corrin's there pissing himself laughing because every time we shared a room, Corrin would go in and jack the toilet up to maximum temperature, maximum pressure, and not tell me. And I never fucking used it until that last time. (laughs) Yeah, anyway. Kyoto, April Fool's Day. I hope everyone got someone with it. I fucking, that was the best I've ever done, I reckon. What did, what did we tell you after we find out that was April Fool's Day? Fuck you, Kev. What did we tell you? Uh, I think you said, fuck you, Kev. <laughs> yeah. Yep, there was yeah. a bit of that. There were some other words used as well. Oh, there were a lot yeah. of words used in there. Yeah. There were a lot of words used in there. And I've got to admit, my neighbour must have think, been thinking that I'm crazy again because I was in my workshop on my own, just like bursting out laughing. Uh, yeah. That's it. I'm done now. Nah, it's brought up too many bad memories. Yeah, I know. All right, know. so... Where are we at, guys? We've started a Facebook group. Yeah, I was going to say, you did something new. You did something extra for us, didn't you? Yeah, I, st- I started a Facebook. I don't actually know why I started a Facebook group, but I started a Facebook group. And then I asked on the Facebook group if anyone had any questions, because I listen to podcasts and lots of people like ask questions, and we don't really care. But we put it on Facebook, and there's like all these questions, stuff we can talk about. So then we said, well, we'll just have a pubcast tonight, and we'll, we'll play out through some of those questions. We'll answer. Hell yeah! Answer as best we can. Yeah, the first question. There were some good Mert. questions, though. Oh, some good questions. The first question you're going to answer, Mert. Yes. Oh, we're going to do that now. We'll just launch straight into it. No, let's just get into it. We're at the pub, mate. If we if we deviate from the the flow, we'll be talking about some other shit. Hang on, I need to open another one. Yeah, you're an alcoholic, Mert. Another beer? No, oh, you've got a bit of catching <laughs> up to do. Let me assure you. I had a glass of red wine while I was cooking chicken wings in my. Uh, wood-fired pizza oven. I'm going to upset a few of the listeners. Um, I did a clean-out of my overflow workshop. If you look at my Instagram, you might see some pictures on there. Fuck knuckle at Kev's Forge. (laughs) Fuck it at (laughs) (laughs) fuckface.com. Anyway, I cleaned up my workshop, and part of that resulted in an absolute fucking shitload of excess timber. So I thought, fuck, I'm going to go and burn this shit. I've been in trouble before for doing this, but there was burl that was not good, and there was cracked ring gigi that was not good for anything other than Crack, burning. Just, just put super glue. It's all good, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hue on pine. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I went oh. and started up the wood-fired pizza oven at about 2 o'clock this afternoon. And then I burnt a shitload of timber and chucked some chicken wings in there at about 7 o'clock tonight. Fuck, they were good, though. Gidgey and Burl chicken wings. Can't beat it. Mm. So, Matt, question time for you. Yeah, man. This, this question comes from AJ Prime. Yeah. How do you devise a heat-treating regime for homemade steels like Woots or Hearth steel? Not knowing Oops. the exact competition compared to known steels, is it just trial and error? What would you do? Can we just stop That's there? Because this is going to fuck with me. I don't like that. It's hearth steel, as in the hearth of a fire. Sorry. Sorry. I'm not having it. Okay. I'm not having it. 
it's like a hard jump. Hearth steel. Hearth steel. It makes you better. Hearthy steel. Hodge or Hodge? Hodge steel. All right. No, we've got to be serious here, guys. All right. Go pretend to sabre. Serious question, serious answer. Yep. So the wood steel that I worked before, I bought it from Peter Bird, and he gave me the carbon content from it. And because I knew the carbon content, and uh, the first one I had was 1.25. It was also uh, same amount of carbon as the another steel that I use, known as 125SC. So I pretty much treat it like a 125SC. So if I've gotten a wood steel that I know the composition, I will treat it like a, if I know it has a 1% carbon, what's the fucking smirk in your face, Dan? What? No. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, professionality, profit. Perfect. Okay, so on. with, 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 yeah, with the on. wood steel, it's easier to compare to hard steel, it's easier to calculate the carbon ratio because assuming that you're adding raw iron with the, if you take raw iron as zero percentage and if you add your charcoal it's easier to calculate but yeah again it's not 100 percent and you can get it chemically tested you can get it analyzed also you can check the hardness after quench if something has a 50 percent carbon it's not going to harden as much as a steel that has a over one percent carbon so when you work with those steels, it's a bit more on the you assuming it's not hundred percent sure like a steel that you will buy that has a data sheet and all that. Yeah, right. So what did you do with the woods that you made when we were at your house? Oh, that was that was Tamahagane, which was a hard steel. I have not consolidated that one, but before I bought a hard steel Tamahagane from a Japan. And it was advertised as a 0.9%. And by the time I forged into a knife, I heated it in water a few times and it didn't harden as much. And I don't think I burned the carbon out. So with those stuff, <laughs> it's just a crapshoot. When yeah, I was right. talking to, I forgot the name of the gentleman. Corn, what was the older gentleman who was doing the smelt? Mike Peterson. Mike Peterson. Mike Peterson. Yeah, Mike Peterson. I put a, I put a, one thing that I put a video of his up on the Australian Blacksmiths, Bladesmiths, and Knife Makers Network group. I put a video of him up. Yeah, he's a great source, great knowledge, and a great guy. So he was saying, the more carbon the steel has, he could feel the way it moves under the hammer. So he was saying he will, on purpose, decarburize it to get the carbon content below one. He was saying, because he has the experience with the working with the steel and making his own, so if a steel has over 1%, it's very stiff under the hammer. You let it decarburize a little bit, take it out, start trying like a couple taps and see how it moves. And he was saying at 8% or 9%, he feels comfortable. He can tell like, yeah, this steel is ready. 0. 0. So that 0. comes 0. from experience. 0. 0. 0. Yeah, 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0.9. Yeah, yeah, he was saying that at that point, he knows how the steel is going to move under the hammer. So... Two, two choices. Either way, chemically analyze it or experience it. Trial and error. Yeah, well, when we were in Japan, we were went to a swordsmith and those guys were um, making the tamahagane and then they would get it red and quench it in water Yeah. and then they would hit it with a hammer and depending on how it broke, they'd put it into different piles. Yes. Remember that, Kev? And then they'd have like three different grades and they'd stack it a certain way in the billet to weld to make a sword depending on whether yeah. it was softer or harder. Yeah. 
So he drew it up on the board for us. It was all very scientific. I didn't understand a word he said on account of he talked Japanese and I don't. But, it, you know, it sort of made sense. And the translation was that he was, he was dropping it in water and then smacking it up with a hammer to break it into pieces. And depending on how it broke, uh, he'd then identify what grade it was, whether it was yeah. the so or the spine. When you make tamagane, the ones, the one, the steel that's closer to the charcoal, the outer, outer stuff absorbs more carbon than the one in the dead center. So the outer stuff has a more carbon, and that usually gets sent to the swordsmith. But again, when they break it, it can snap like a hardened steel, or it can break, but still like kind of bend and break, or it can just like bend. So if it's completely bent, that's no different than wrought iron, because it's there's no fucking carbon if it bends doesn't break that's wrought iron so wrought iron is pretty much tamahagana that doesn't have enough carbon in it same idea yeah right understood so um yeah because wrought iron was normally made in the puddling furnace but in the puddling furnace there was no exposure to the carbon so yeah there was no anyway fair enough so uh i don't know did we answer that question i don't think we we sort of did didn't we? aj prime i think the gist of that was uh, unless someone's giving you the steel, it's going to be trial and error, man. Yeah, trial and error. Trial and error. But we kind of covered it because we talked about and it's, and uh, it, the way and you it, could test it. And it's called hearth, not hearth. <laughs> oh, well, some people pronounce it wrongly. I, I'm just assuming I'm right because I, I'm always... Fuck. Well, I don't know if it's right or wrong. I don't give a fuck. It's how I say it, so it must be right. Yeah, fuck you, Corrin. <laughs> the main thing here is how do you devise a heat treat regime well you've got to determine by t trial and error that's pretty much the that's pretty much how to do it and if you don't have a feel for it you're going to have to test it and work it out same as if you're using scrap steel so if you're making your own tamagane then um you're not using you're basically using an iron ore the iron ore shouldn't have any chromium or any manganese or anything that's going to promote through hardening so it'll be water quench and then just water quench it and see what happens they're all water quenched steels, aren't they, Mert? Unless you add a, an alloy. Well, you have to water quench because, as you said, there's no manganese. You have a hard time hardening the whole thing. Yeah, right. Like you, you cannot apply any clay and you can quench the whole thing and you'll still get a big of hormone on the top because it doesn't have any manganese or chromium, so it doesn't fully harden. Awesome. Yeah, it's a shallow hardening steel. All right, <clears throat> rock and roll. I think, I think we're doing pretty well here, guys. I reckon yeah. that deserves a drink. Oh, we, yeah, cheers. Cheers. More boys. Yeah. <laughs> this could be the this could be the knife making down under podcast drinking game. Answer a question and have a drink. Second episode will be beer pong. Beer pong. <laughs> <laughs> Virtual beer pong. That's gonna be fun. So when are we gonna come up to Mert's place and do a Tanahagane? I gotta we gotta organise that. When we're no I'm longer in fucking lockdown. Oh yeah, right. Fair enough. We're not in lockdown. We're in the pub. Well, we're in the pub. Ashley Edwards. Right, Ashley Edwards says, I do a lot through AMSA, the Australian Men's Shed Association. There are tens of thousands of members across the country now stretching around the world. Each time I bring in a knife, I've made... I've, ew, fuck me. Each time I bring in a knife I've made to show the guys, they all get really excited and want to start the journey into becoming knife makers themselves. When I bring this up in a committee meeting, it always goes the same way. We're not making weapons here. I explain they're not weapons. They're culinary knives for cooking dinner. They do listen and understand. 
but never pass a motion to purchase the tooling required. What are some tips and tricks to convince others that kitchen knives aren't scary killing weapons? How can we as a group lead the way to change the sneaked stigma associated with homemade culinary tools? Easy solution. Cut their dicks off. They've already got no dick, so let's not worry about that. The first thing you got to do here, Ashley Edwards, and it's fucking simple, man. All you got to do is you got to get a pig. You got to get a spit roasting machine. You got to go to the Men's Shed Association. You got to put the pig on the spit, roast it over the spit until it's beautifully crispy and, and fat stripping off it, and everyone's standing around mouth watering. And then give them a fucking spoon and tell them to try and eat it. Yeah. Pull out one of your culinary knives and cut the shit up and serve it to yourself only. And say, no, no, yeah, I'm the only one here allowed to use weapons. These are weapons in your hands, you silly fucks. Yeah. You can't have them. If you think they're a weapon, the problem isn't with the knife. The problem is with your dirty brain. Oh, yeah. We could regress back to our conversation about the Japanese trip on the last episode. That outdoor festival, when we got right down to the end of that one and a half kilometre strip of knives and kids and families, they had... Oh, man. Projects from kids at primary school that were all to do with how to use knives and scissors and everything properly. And it's embedded in their culture that scissors and knives are an absolute necessity tools. in society. They are tools and they're to be used in the right way at the right time for the right thing. Western culture sees a knife and fucking turns and runs and says, oh, it's a weapon. Uh, it's not a fucking weapon. You put up that fucking really cool video that was from the Seki Show, Corin, that was about try and survive a day without a knife. And it was like the funniest fucking thing ever. We might try and revive that, put it back up on our... I'll put it up on the group. Knife-making podcast down under whatever page we're at. Now the group. Put it in the knife-making yeah, knife down under knife group. Knife-making down under group, which is growing exponentially. It's growing faster than coronavirus. You know, the good thing about Seki, man, was down the end of that street, they had all the kids down there. They had them sitting down at tables, each of them with a knife in their hand, showing them how to sharpen a pencil with a knife. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Teaching them how to peel an apple with a knife. They're all sitting there peeling apples and eating apples, getting a free apple, learning how to use a knife. Do you remember the samurai dudes that were right down the very end that everyone was getting photos taken with? I'm sure I will. There's a big group of samurais and they had a chair in the middle and everyone went and sat down on this chair and the samurais would stand there looking really mean and aggressive. And I walked up and they were all like five foot three. So I've walked up and I looked left and I looked right. I shook my head and I folded my arms and they all just started pissing themselves laughing. And then someone took a photo of all these samurais looking up at me and just cacking themselves. Oh, Godzilla! Godzilla! Sumo Kev, Sumo-san. I just remember the funny thing. I was walking down that outside strip of um, vendors there, and Saki's renowned for its eel, eel business, food and whatnot. And I remember, remember going up to one guy who had these T-shirts, and I was like pointing at him going, oh, T-shirt, size. And he's like, oh, size, size Raj, size Raj. I'm not being racist, that's how he said it. Size Raj. And I go, I put up three fingers and I go, Three large, three large. And he looks at me and just goes, oh, sumo, and just starts pissing himself laughing. And I, I walked away. This guy's still laughing and pointing at me while I'm 50 metres down the fucking road because I was asking for a 3XL. <laughs> it's like no chance, bitches. 
But getting back to the question, yeah, knives as weapons. So I tried to promote a post for Knife Making Down Under podcast. I thought I'll throw a few bucks in and try and get a few more people onto the group. So I did that. Facebook blocked me and said, no, you cannot advertise weapons, which, of course, we're not doing. So after a, a, a spout of me going backwards and forwards with them, uh, they let my promotion through. But the point is, whenever you're making a knife or whenever you talk about knives... The first thing that comes into people's head is a weapon. And it's not the fault of the knife because as far as weapons go, there is a knife in every house, in every street, in every city, in every unit, in every kitchen, there is a knife. And somehow 99.9999999% of the population refrains from stabbing each other. The problem is not the knives. Yeah. The thing is to try and get these guys to acknowledge that knives are tools. Yeah. You know, and we're just tools that make tools. Yeah. You've just got to convince them that, especially as you've been trying to, Ashley, is that when you're making kitchen knives especially, they're made for the reason for making your time in the kitchen more enjoyable because you'll be preparing your food with something that you've made yourself. Your, Your wife will be preparing food with something that you've made for her. And it's just such an awesome experience. They've got to get away from this stigma that it's it's a bad thing. It's a good thing. It, it's a really cool thing. And if, you, if they're already acknowledging that your knives are really cool, that's the tack that you've got to take with them. Or you've got to dupe them and say, well, we need some metalworking tools. Can we get a Shopmate 48 from Artisan Supplies? so that I can grind notches into my steel pipes to weld a four-point roll cage for my new hot rod that I'm going to drive out in the streets and run people over with. Which you can use as a weapon, just as easy as a knife. Let's not, let's not, you know. That's it. He goes on to say that we would use the tools for many other projects, which is what you said. Most guys are keen, but they're from a very conservative and cautious generation. I think that's his polite way of saying they're boomers. <laughs> it's just a mindset. Back in my time. It's just a mindset issue by the looks. We could definitely use some extra room to house extra tools, but that's not the reason it keeps getting voted against. We have kitchen in the men's shed full of knives. Violence isn't the issue. And the thought of being seen making weapons is the issue as far as I can see. Well, you know, I, I think you need to be seen to be making kitchen tools. Yeah, there's a simple thing you can do is you can write into your constitution or your local shed rules or whatever you want to do, write into that rule book that when producing knives at the men's shed, you will only produce knives that will be used for culinary purposes. Simple. That's simple as that, right? Yeah. You might not have a say in it at this point, actually, because you're dealing with the boomers up the top. And at that point, mate, the best thing to do, like I said, mates, have a have a spit roast and say none of them can be trusted with knives. So let's eat it with spoons and see how they go. Look, the other thing is, mate, if you really want to, when I'm when we're not doing a pub cast and we're half pissed on whiskey and beer, is if you want me to have a talk to or someone to have a murder or Corin have a talk to these guys and explain to them the reality about how popular the kitchen knife industry is, and you know it. It's something that we could talk to them about and actually try and lighten their burden a little bit and tell them how awesome it is. Don't, don't worry about the popularity thing. It's satisfying. It, it, it relaxes you. It relieves you. It gives you so much satisfaction about 
making something that you may get your hands and using it and knowing that the tool you made actually does work. Like, don't worry about the, the popular thing. It's such a satisfying thing to be able to make the tools that you use for for a certain tasks. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, absolutely, mate. I, I don't think Ashley would disagree with that because yeah. Ashley makes knives. Yeah. But it's trying to convince the boomers up in the shed, men's shed to, to, you know, put in the tools. Maybe we should get the, some of the community of the men's shed to Sydney Knife Show and let them see the other makers yeah. and see what this That's is about rather than... Because in their minds, we're dirty bastards making fucking tools. Like, we're, we're, we're producing shanks. No, we're not. Let's see if we can put it through the committee that Ashley Edwards gets five tickets to the Sydney Knife Show to give to the boomers yeah. to bring them along and show them what an awesome thing it is to make knives, kitchen knives and, especially. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty yeah. cool idea. The other thing we could do for him is we could get someone from the community, other than yourself, who's obviously got a, a foot in the camp, Get somebody from the community to come down and give them a talk on how knives are made, the skill, the artistry, and uh, and talk about not how knives as tools. Get somebody like you know, I'm going to say, you know, Murdoch or Kevil, but you know, wherever yeah. you are, we can bring Andrew Bloomfield. It can be a great point. So look, he <laughs> <laughs> can be 60. Can't start making knives. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hey, uh, a, no. a... <laughs> what are you saying, Mert? You're saying Andrews Andrews started making knives after he retired. Yeah, well, here he is exactly. making here he is making foot and a half long Bowie weapons. No, let's get him to go and talk about kitchen knives. No, it's not about it. Can he can demonstrate art part of it? Yeah, and it'll be it'll be an easier conversation for them. Old dogs can learn. yeah yeah. Learn new Does tricks. your back hurt? Yeah, mine hurts too. Oh, fuck. My arthritis, you know. <laughs> when were you born? 45? Yeah, same as me. Yeah, right. Same as me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ashley Edwards. His Instagram, guys, go and give him a like and a follow. And thanks for the question, Ashley. I hope we've sort of touched it up as it needs to be touched. Celery underscore patch underscore knives. Thanks, mate. Celery patch knives. There you go. Celery underscore patch underscore knives. You're up, Kev. What's the next one? Next one's directed at you. Well, part of it is. Next one comes from Ivan. <laughs> also also known as Dino Handsaker. Oh, it's out of the bag now. There's no yeah. putting it back in. Nah, nah. There's the pub <laughs> part. There's no, there's no secrets here. Um, he said, if I, if I may ask some questions for the Mystic Podcast Masters. Oh, fuck. That's not us. Knife talk. That's a, we'll yeah. forward it on. <laughs> Next. <laughs> well, then that's for Mareko. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He's, first, he's got a fucking like a series of questions here. He's got number question number one. What oils do you use? And do you use different oils for different metals to quench? Yes, we covered it in a steel episode, haven't we? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, but we can we can do it again because we've got nothing better. Yeah, if you want to go and get a really in-depth approach, go back and listen to the one when we talk about steels and their heat treating properties. But yes, different steels require different quench mediums to attain the best hardness for that particular steel. Some require medium quench oils, in which case you can use things like canola or olive oil, cottonseed oil, or G-Quench, things like 1075 and 1084 in particular. 
When you move up the chain to things like 1095 W2, for two examples, you might want to use a faster quench, <coughs> like K quench or water or what's that, aqua quench, the synthetic water additive. So yes, some steels with higher carbon and other ingredients require a faster quench. Blokes, put in your two bobs worth. I will. Um, look, go for okay, it. Go, Mert. Go for nah, it. fuck you, Mert. You, yeah, I started first. Come on, you Mert. Just go right ahead. Get into it. I will say for beginners, avoid waters. Because if you're a beginner knife maker, if you're doing it on your weekend, last thing you want to do is spend your Saturday on a profiling, grinding, and Sunday you heat it in the morning, it's broken. Then you, you wasted pretty much your day off or days off. I will say, it will pay off to invest in a uh, like a s- small bucket, like uh, five liter worth of or special ten. oils. Go ten. Ten. Go ten. They don't yeah. go bad, you know. You buy it and you will use it for years. It will it will pay off. If not, if you're just gonna make a once a month or every other month, yeah, you can get away with using rice pan or canola for some certain steels. But again, if you wanna invest, it's I will definitely rec- recommend investing in a better qualities yeah. uh, oils yeah absolutely yeah i've got horton's g and horton's k i'll some i'll sometimes go the 1084 and the 1075 in the k you can get away with it but you'd never put 52 100 in k that would be a bad day anything high in chromium particularly is going to be bad in k quench so yeah we do use different oils and and there is a, and there's room for different oils i have to say i still use um when i'm running my classes in particular we're using 1075 or 1084, depending on what I pull out of the pile on the day. And if we're making big chef knives, like eight inch plus, I definitely quench in canola because those knives get clamped and then put into my house oven. You don't probably don't want to be using your house oven if you're using a synthetic oil product because it's going to stink your kitchen out and your spouse, partner, wife or other is probably not going to be overly happy. Well, they're not food grade. They're not good food grade stuff. Like, don't have that in your oven. It will stink. It will stink your no. food, and it's not recommended. That's for the tempering cycle. Yeah, I chuck mine. I got a little toaster oven, um, which I've PID control. I got a toaster oven, but it's not big enough for a blade in the uh, angle bar that I clamp them to. Yeah. So enough. anyway, moving along. Dino's next question was: Do you preheat your quenching oil? If so, what temperature? Warm bar. You know, I've, I used to get my little laser thermometer out and squirt, like zap it onto the surface. I have a bar of, uh, I believe it's 1075. I've got a bar of 20 mil wide, 4 mil thick, 1075 that I heat up and I quench into my quench tank. And I take it out and I heat it up again and I quench it into my quench tank. And then the, wall, then the oil is warm enough. I don't do a specific temperature. I do that process. So that bar of steel has been quenched about 400 times now with never having a thermal cycle put on it. I think it's like 10, 10, all five, like 10, 10, 10 right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Decarbonate the fuck snap, out of it. I'm going to snap it one day and, and see if I can send it off to someone to do a microscope look at it because it's got to be the shittest <laughs> brain structure ever. It's been quenched in water, quenched in canola quenched in k-quench and it, i just heat the stuff up like i said war, you want it warm lower viscosity warmer oil will quench your knives better than cold oil if you put cold oil you're going to get a vapor lock 
and you're not going to do a lot of justice to your steel. And to be honest, I don't get a lot of, in testing, I haven't got a lot of difference between, say, oil heated to 20 degrees and oil heated to, to 35, 40, 50 degrees. I don't get an end result that's much different. And after, the first, all. after that first knife that you put in there, it's absurdly hot anyway. Yeah. yeah, that's right. When you're doing two or three, it's going to get hotter and hotter. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think, do, don't be too fussy about it. But the, the main things to remember are if you can't hold your hand on the oil pot, it's over 65 degrees and that's probably too hot. Uh, if your oil's starting to smoke, you're about to burn your shed down. Warm is good. Yeah, warm is good. And don't keep heat treating shit in a fucking bubbling oil pot. Yeah, no, that, that's bad. There's been a lot of uh, <coughs> workshops burned down from uh, the old oil fire. Don't be a statistic. Uh, we don't mind if you do, but put pictures on Instagram and show us what it looks like afterwards. So, that's the main thing. Yeah, Hashtag so I can... fucked it up. <laughs> Hashtag I fucked it up. <laughs> I did my best. Hashtag Morocco can't do push-ups for shit. Yeah, check out that hashtag. Hashtag Mareko can't do push-ups for shit. Uh, we'll talk about the push-up channel. You want to talk about it now? Fuck the questions. Fuck it. Yeah, we'll go through the questions after. This is a pub. We don't have to be fucking... So there's this there's this C10 do 10 challenge or whatever shit's going on. And Mareko fucking tagged me in it. And I don't normally partake in that sort of stuff. I always just sit there and be grumbly fucking own self and go, fuck you, I'm moving on. But I was like, no, nah, fuck it, I'll do it. So I smashed out 30 push-ups and then realized I hadn't hit the fucking record button on my phone. So I was like, you fucker. So I waited about a minute or two and then set my phone up properly and did another 30 push-ups and, and did sort of question Mareko's, you know, saying that he thought I was an old man and couldn't handle it, do 10, so I did 30. And then I was told by a loyal listener to our podcast who went off tangent and listened to their podcast not Schwabzy. No, nah, it wasn't Schwabzy. It was 116 Blades. Mm. Shout out to 116 Blades for the heads up. And he tells me, I haven't listened to it yet, but he tells me, I'm listening to Knife uh, Talk podcast and Mareko's bagging out your push-up style. I'm like, oh, fuck is he? So I send Mareko a message on Instagram going, hey, what the fuck's up with my push-ups? And I don't hear anything. And so the next day I get a response from Mareko, some fucking laughing thing. I'm like, oh, I thought you went into hiding. Saying, so you know, Big Kev was fucking upset. He knows you're in lockdown, mate. He's poking a bear with a stick. The bear in a cage. Yeah, <laughs> I can't get over there. <laughs> uh, two things. A, I can't get to America. B, I can't work out at the gym. <laughs> so he's pretty safe. So I just hashtagged him on, on my whiskey, on the whiskey shot for the podcast picture. Morocco can't do push-ups for shit. That's uh, 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 fair call. Anyway, next question. Okay. Oh, oh, no, hang on. This one's this one's directed to the mega gods of podcast. Yeah. There must well, be you not two. Me, not me. Mega gods of podcast. That's, that's going to be me. That's going to be Josh Rogan. Josh Rogan. Josh Rogan. <laughs> Joe Rogan. <laughs> Whatever his fucking name is. I don't fucking know. So. All right. Okay. The mega gods of podcast. Yeah, that'll be you, Mert. This one's for you. Yeah. What? what process do you... Oh, no, you read it. No, you were doing this hey, one. I asked you to do it at the start. I don't even know why I did it. Because you're a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Mega gods of podcast. I think we voted that that was me. But Mer can answer. What process do you temper your blades from simple 1075, 1084 
and he's written 5061, but I reckon that's 5160, to more advanced stainless. Again, go back and listen to the steel podcast, but... I don't, I don't think we covered tempering that we? hard. And Dino, Dino, Ivan, Ivan Dino is like one of our most revered listeners. So, you know... If, the ringcaster. If it, the ringcaster. The ringcaster. That's his name. Ivan the ringcaster. <laughs> one ring to rule them all. <laughs> one ring to ruin them all. <laughs> one ring to ruin the wall. <laughs> Uh, go back and listen to the Ivan episode, Adelaide Knife Show, sometime around November. Anyway. But for the... Tampa, for the chat, 1075, 1084, 5160. What do we do? What do we do, guys? You start, Matt. What do you do? I don't... I use 1084 in my Damascus mix, but I don't use 1075 or I don't use 5160. So I won't be able to give exact figures. But in terms of tempering, one thing that you have to keep in mind is the temperature is more key than the duration of it. Correct. And some the carbon steels are more forgiving to higher temperature tempering, but stainless is very sensitive. Like with the stainless, the difference between 15 Celsius can lead up to two Rockwell points. While with the carbon steel, it might be maybe one or maybe none. So stainless steel is very finicky in terms of the temperature change. That's why it will pay off to load your toaster oven with the PID or worst case, just get a fucking oven thermometer. You can put a heat brick in it because the way the tempering, the way the ovens work is they don't always stay at 180 or whatever you said. The thermostat will kick in and it will stop heating then the temperature will drop a little bit then once you realize it dropped too much then it kick again so to avoid that you can so you can put a heat brick like a brick or you can put like a something um you can put a sand if you want the sand or the heat brick that has the residual heat will keep it still warm and your temperature of the oven won't drop as much versus not having any heat sink how do you temper your 1075? Um, I temper my 1075 depending on like what I'm after in terms of overall hardness. So my quench process, given that I've got my Rockwell hardness tester, my quench process is pretty solid. I, I don't vary too much in my results on that unless I'm having an incredibly bad day. And what I normally do when I quench, uh, sorry, when I temper my knives i do two different temperatures one is for my chef knives my kitchen knives and one is for my hunting knives i want my kitchen knives to be slightly harder than i want my hunting knives to be i want my hunting knives i'm aiming for about the 59 to 60 rockwell somewhere in between that figure is good and for my kitchen knives i want them to be 60 plus which you can still get out of 1075 um, and i temper my kitchen knives with 1075 at 180 degrees C for two hours. But again, that's 180 degrees C in my little mini pizza oven that I've done tests on. And I know that that setting at 180 degrees is, is pretty precise for what I'm doing. You need to make sure that your oven's running, you know, every oven's different. When I do them in my house, I actually temper my, the temperature I set my oven on 
for my kitchen knives is 170 because my oven, although it's supposed to be some fucking German, you know, you butte cool oven, it overshoots fucking 10 degrees easy. So I set it at 170, and when that thermostat kicks in, it's going to go up to 180 and then cool down a little bit and, and that way. With my hunting knives, because I want them that little bit softer, I do them sort of 195 to 200. And I do a two-hour temper cycle. And uh, it, when I'm doing my classes, especially because we're a little bit pressed for time, a single two-hour temper cycle. When I'm doing my other stuff, I'll generally run it for a couple of two-hour cycles. Actually, I need to, I forgot to add something. When I used to, when I used to still cook, I tempered some blades in the fryer. We had, oh, yeah. the, we had the, perfect. Perfect, because conductivity is perfect. And yeah. even when the thermostat kicks, temperature doesn't drop more than a couple of degrees. On a fryer, definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, if you've got a salt pot that can do lower temperatures, that sort of stuff, although you're probably not going to get the right temperature with that, that same sort fryer. of medium. Fryer, yeah. Fryer. And then you can chuck a Chico roll in and have some lunch. <laughs> the way I do it after quench, I, I chuck my blades into the PID controlled toaster oven, you know, get an inkbird control off eBay and wire it up to a toaster oven. And then you can really control your toaster oven to within points of a degree. Uh, I chuck my blades in there at 150 degrees or whatever and, and um, uh, give them a snap temper straight after quench. And then I'll decide what, after I've hardness tested, I'll decide what temperature to um, to do my final temper at to get the final hardness that I'm after because I have a hardness tester. If you don't have a hardness tester, just go off the charts and uh, the chart for your steel, the temper temp that's required for the quench that you did and just you should get the result. They're typically pretty good. Yeah, knife steel nerds, Kevin Cash and a whole heap of resources online to get that data from. But the main thing is to temper your blades as quickly as possible. I like to, I've got obviously got the um, the Paragon kiln to temper in, but you don't want to wait for the kiln to come down from 800 degrees. You want to chuck your blade straight into a tempering oven, even if it's just at 150 degrees Celsius, so you can snap temper yep. them and uh, stop them cracking because you can really have some problems if you leave them un untempered. Yeah, don't leave things overnight thinking they're going to be okay because they won't be. No. Yeah. And more advanced stainless steels, you know, the really if you're going to do it seriously, the the best way is to to hardness test before and after, before and after. Hardness test, hardness test, yeah. hardness test. Depends on how serious yeah. you want to get. If you're just a home hobbyist then like you don't need to worry about that, but if you're taking the sport seriously, you guys both have hardness testers, yeah. Fuck yeah, mine's turned on all the time. Yeah. Never gets turned off. I've got 62 Rockwell test pieces sitting there and I bloody make sure it's working properly. Look, it's the only way to make sure that a, a knife doesn't go out in the field that's subpar. You've got to test it. That happens every now it and then. It can be too hard too. Oh, it's yeah. not yeah. just about like being sub. It can be too hard and all of a sudden it snaps in the guy's hand and you're like, oh shit. Oops. Yeah. Oops. So, holy voices from Podbean. Question number four. Finally... Did Captain Kev have anything written on his paper he brought to the recording? How does he know you bring it? Not tonight. Oh, you probably talk about that, don't you? Because we talked about the Tim Ford love note that I was drawing. Ah, uh, not tonight. And, and please, please be noted that Tim Ford is over 18, so it's quite acceptable, unlike Schwabzy. singing songs to a 14-year-old. Yeah. We don't do that. 
We don't do that in our pubcast. No. <laughs> no, that would be wrong. Um, Who would do that? Answering that question is not tonight, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm... That was Jeff Fader, wasn't it? Oh, something like that. Chip, Chip, the fella from UK. <laughs> Um, Dean, no, nothing written down tonight. <coughs> I have got a bottle of whiskey and and a, no pen in sight, thankfully. So, no. So then he puts up a... Oh, we won't put nah. that. You can have a look at the group to see how witty and clever Ivan is at trying to piss Kev off. All right, now. Uh, and here's, um, and you can look at him on Instagram. It's kind of like looking at a, an animal in a cage. Hashtag Sarge underscore blades underscore and underscore forge. Sarge blades and forge. And of course, he's a um, an ex con. Oh no, uh, an ex army <laughs> guy. <laughs> oh, you're Hi, Ivan. We love you. <laughs> That's a slip of the tongue. <laughs> he's a vet. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, veteran. Yeah, that's that's it. It. Oh, no offense to anyone that has previously served in our military. Oh, this is a this is a podcast. Dino, Dino, get it's Dino, get on board, mate. Get on board. You got to go back and listen to that episode because, on account of, it's Dino. Yeah. All right, Cho. No, oh, you can say Cho Cho Deke. Cho Deke. Yeah. Right. Read away. You're good. <clears throat> okay. Who's doing this you. one? It's always fun. Okay. I don't know the questions. Frequently. What? You want to do it? I don't know the questions. Like, you guys can't say what <laughs> I, I don't know the fucking question. You or him. You read it. it. You read it. You just sit back and have a beer, big fella. Yeah. Don't you worry. You leave it to us, mate. A good friend. <laughs> Cheers, boys. That's the what? That's what the friends for. Okay. A good frequently asked question on sending our stainless steel, including Dharma steel blanks away somewhere to get heat treated. Somewhere like Hills Heat Treatment in Sydney, for example, would be pretty informative. Also, Scrimshaw on artificial ivory, Juma scales would be a cool topic. Even some content about laser engraving initials or full JPEG GIF images drawn on grivery Juma handles would be informative. Uh, that's some really good stuff. Nothing there that I can talk about except Hills Heat Treating isn't in Sydney. Victoria. But other than that, that's, yeah, Victoria. So sending your blades away um, is, is a really great option for anybody that's starting out. If you can't heat treat at home and you want to work in stainless steels, send them away and get them heat treated. They'll come back. They'll come back hardness tested at whatever hardness you wanted them at. Job's done. They're done in a vacuum furnace. You don't have a decarb. You don't have any problems. Sometimes they come back a bit warped. You have to be a bit prepared for that. So also, my advice to you, go go for your life. So, so do you want to tell, like, if somebody was going to send a blade to Hills or any company for heat treating, how they should send their blades? There's also etiquette of sending your blade. I don't know. I've never done it. I've, I've always done my own. Never so, done it. You uh, tell us. You well, tell us. I... I've done twice. And Ooh, you're I don't a, you're a fucking expert. We can we can make the rest no. up. No, I'm not. I'm <laughs> no expert, but All right, listen to kids. <laughs> Come on. So basically, what I was told from the research was you don't want to give them too much of a chance to fuck things up. You don't want to grind bevels and things like that. Yeah, because the that. more, the thinner you go. And those guys, they're going to try and heat treat it. But you, if you leave your edge one mil 
and your blade goes fucking banana and they're trying to fix it, they got other shit to do. Your blade is not the only thing they're heat treating. Yes. So it's going to be hard to ex- it's going to be hard to accept, but they'll be heat treating maybe 50 blades and and other things during the day. So if you're going to send stuff to be heat treated offsite, make sure your blade is as straight as it gets. Okay. And don't expect like prepare for the worst. Don't yeah. send them ground bevels and things like that. Avoid sharp corners. Avoid stress rises. Don't send like a dodgy profile blades. Profile it to best your ability, but don't leave it thin. Don't don't ask them to put a hamon for you. I saw that that was funny. Some, somebody was like, "Can I get this hamon on it?" I'm like, "Yeah, bro." Yeah, yeah, no worries. Say no more. Yeah. yeah and so- I will say, go for it, kid. Nah, I was just going to say, so don't, like I said, do a full thickness, use the right belts after, do post heat treat grinding, and give yourself the best shot at being able to fix something if it's screwed up. Yeah, honestly, with the, let's say you got a four mil, three mil stock that's fully hardened. With the blaze belts or the new green ceramic belts, the one that, um, Clingspore. Corin can fill. Clingspore. Clingspore, the green ceramic. Yeah. With them ones, like with one belt, you can grind three mil or four mil fully hardened stainless steel to a almost burr in like one belt or less than a belt easily. No reason to like skip on that. And then you got a blade and it's fucking warped, warped and you're trying to take the band and shit. No, just give them full thickness. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Keep it cool. One swipe, one, yeah. one quench. One swipe, one quench. Um, yeah. That's probably the best uh, best advice we could we can give. Uh, none of us do um, send our blades out for heat treating, but grinding bevels post heat treat is going to save a lot of problems. Uh, the biggest problems I've heard are people complaining about warps, blades coming back warped. So I can only agree with Murd on that in terms of what I've heard. Again, it's not out, not really our field. Guys, any of you guys have any idea on Scrimshaw with Juma or any of that? No. Nah. No, nah, I, was gonna I know. Fuck all about. Show, I can barely scratch my fucking name. I can barely scratch my balls half the time. Chodik, you need to go and have a look at Paul Aristan, Paul Emmanuel Aristan, and hit him up for some information on um, doing the Scrimshaw on artificial ivory Juma scales. Paul's a bit of a legend at doing that sort of shit, and he's talked about it previously at the Australian Blade Symposium. Sign up for the next one. Get on board. It'll be unreal. <clears throat> and then uh, laser engraving, initials. I've got a laser engraver that I haven't really set up yet, um, and I've done a little bit of stuff with Karim from over at Thawa. He's got a the similar sort of laser engraver to me, and I have to say... I'm probably going to be a convert to laser etching or laser engraving my maker's mark and stuff on my knives in the near future. Um, Darlu Darwin yeah. does his. Are you going to do any pennies on that? Any any dicks on your knives? I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I have a I have a ruler or rule depending on your boomerage. <laughs> boomerage. Um, 150 mil rule in my workshop and I got Da to laser etch a doodle in the in the zero 
of the 10 marker on the 10 centimetres. And I bring that out in my classes and I wait and see who can see it. And not many people pick up that it's there. Yeah. I think many of us own a knife with a dick laser etched on it. I think that's a standard thing in the industry now, isn't it? If you don't own a knife or carry a knife with a dick on it, then you really haven't met Dar. No, Dar is Dar is a bit renowned for pervertedness. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty simple. He's a great guy, but he is a pervert. We love him. Dar, Dar Lu, look him up on Facebook. Dar Lu, Galandangan. Mark and Guy, Galandang, Gang, 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 and um, uh, hmm. so Cho, Cho, mate, thanks for your question. We're moving along. We should get uh, Paul on the Paul on the podcast one day, but we haven't done that yet. We've threatened to do it a few times, but yeah. He was here at my house when we were doing the interview with the Royer brothers and the Royer Royer Trump Paul. And he, he didn't want to fucking get on there. I was like, "Come on, Frenchie, Frenchie, Jenny, stop, <laughs> stop fucking, stop fucking waving that white flag and get on board, brother." We need you. Every time he fucking talks, so every time he talks, so you want to have sex with him because he's got that accent. Do I sound sexy? <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Paul. You do all right oh. push-ups too. You do better at push-ups than Mareko. I love I love oh. you, Paul too, but probably not as much as Kev by the sound of things. Um, I visit Paul as often as I can when I go to Queensland. That long windy road up to Mount Man, Nebo. I haven't, I haven't been there. Beautiful. Place. All right. You got to get there. It's unreal. No, oh, I've got to do. <clears> so our next things. question. Yeah, we know. You our just, next question you just comes want from this one because it's short. How come I have to do the long ones? I oh, know you ask it, and I'll bag no, it out. No, you fucking do it. Other... You do it. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Kingsford. We got this question from Tim Kingsford. Can you heat treat? Carbon steels in stainless steel tool wrap. Would you need to get it out of the wrap before quenching in oil? Oh, it's a great question. One that's been asked a lot. Matt's For a reason. Look of, For a reason. Matt's look of, <laughs> yeah, my question to that would be, why the fuck would you bother? Honestly. No, look. You want to keep it clean? No, think, think about it in context. He does a lot of the folders and things like that. He might want yeah. to do avoid scale, but if you're worried about carbon steel and scale and and not being true to your dimensions and all the shape and all that shit, just use the anti-scale coating ATP641. Just coat that with the coat your blade, and there's no decarb, there's no nothing. If you tool your wrap your carbon steel, by the time you try and take it out, you pass you pass the <laughs> Bainite and all that, and you'll be fucking around it, and you're going to ruin it. Yeah, so don't. You cannot just take it shit that's wrapped in steel foil and quench and expect it to cool in a proper rate to be able to harden properly. Just call it with the ATP six one four and heat treat it per usual. And that during the quench, most of that most of that stuff, the coating, it falls off and you end up with a clean blade. That's all. Don't worry about the... The correct answer to this question. Can you heat treat steels in tool wrap? Yes, you can if you have eight hands and you're really good and, and coordinated. Yeah, if you're that fucking... If you're like that fucking Indian god with eight arms, get to it. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. if you're not... I, I wouldn't do it. 
Now, if I had eight hands, I'll be using one of them to hold my balls and the other one to check my shot. <laughs> <laughs> the other seven to slap it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> still got six. Still got six to worry about, you know. Podcast. Podcast. We love it. You, look, you, look. You, you knew what you were coming into, people, when you signed up for this. So here you are. You, your balls deep. I think. I think. Tim Kingsford, if that's what you want to approach, you want to take. I think you need to have a good dose of steak. Before you approach that, oh fuck, that'll that'll <laughs> ward him off. He's a fucking vegan. You can't say shit like that. I know that's what I'm saying. Respect. No, I said have vegan. a steak. You gotta be respectful. Then that'll ward him off. Yeah, I said do it. Have a steak. That'll ward him off. Oh. Like he won't do it then. Okay, whatever. Okay. Like don't do it. Okay. So can you? Probably can. Would you need to remove it from the wrap? Who knows? I I haven't tried it. I wouldn't bother. I don't see the point. I I no. do have some anti scale compound. It's not expensive. And it uh, and so long stir as you, the shit out of stir it. Stir the shit out of it. Watch my Carl Royal video. Stir the shit out of it. When you think it's stirred yeah. enough, stir it some more. Fuck you, Corin. <laughs> I got a shout out on that. Yeah, you did. Not the shout out I wanted. You did, <laughs> but it's what you got. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to live with it. <laughs> oh, I was happy. It's like I like hearing my name when it's not someone standing behind me with some weapon. Curve. All right. So, so um, yeah, go for it. Um, the next question. Yep. Uh, Tim Kingsford is under Tim Kingsford knives or something, isn't he? Oh, I have heard. Just, just going to throw it out there. Just going to throw it out there. Never done it myself. Can't speak to it personally. Have heard of people successfully quenching in plates and tool wrap carbon steel. Yeah. Now, I have heard it. It does not mean that their definition of successful and my definition of successful is the same. It does not mean they measured the hardness. It does not mean that it is anything better. Like they might've just given it to their friend who said, yeah, it cuts really good. I don't know. Right. But, but I have heard it. And if somebody wants to give us some evidence and some tests, we'll be open to listen. I to know it. for a fact that Aldo Bruno, New Jersey steel baron, he was talking about plate quenching, 51-52-100. He was saying that he was getting 65 rock valve at plate quench, but the steel that he was using was quite thin. Like some... And high and 52-100's yeah. high chromium, which is yeah. which is a through-hardening steel. So, But it has to be like three sixteenths of an inch or something, some bullshit American measurement stuff. If it's thin, you can probably get away with it yeah. Without, yeah. Any, without any foil. We're saying we're not saying no. We're just saying you know, well we don't really know, and we've made some stuff. We haven't made anything up there. I yeah. don't think. Did we make? We didn't make anything up there. No. If you're plate quenching your carbon steel and getting really awesome hardness results, next time there's a rainbow, run to the fucking end of it because there's going to be a big pot of gold there. Don't you bring? <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought do you. Be, I thought you were about to bring another knife, well-respected knife maker's name. I'm not bringing anyone's name. <laughs> I don't even know who you mean. I <laughs> know oh, you lost me. Yeah. Over That's all right. Head. Let's leave that. Right. <laughs> See if you can enhance that audio. The leprechaun. <laughs> oh. I'm pretty sure there's a reference to a certain leprechaun. He's a hobbit. A hobbit. <laughs> Uh, All right, I'll cut that out. All right, so coming back into it. Righto. All right, so thanks very much. Thanks very much for that, uh, Tim Kingsford, who is Kingsford. on Instagram, Kingsford Knives. Nice. Kingsford Knives. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Yep. Kingsford Knives. Kingsford Knives. He's a, he's a nice guy. He's been making knives for about the same amount of time as me. We 
we, I started uh, making like with blades and stuff, same time as him. I was sort of putting knives, assembling knives before that. But Tim was um, making about the same time as me and does a fine knife. All right. The next one, Doug Ivins. Ivins. Iv, I don't know. It's all getting a bit hard. I was thinking Ivins. My question, I'm going to go with Ivins. We're, sorry, dude. Um, it's your name and we respect it, but we just can't say it. My question is around handle designs. <clears throat> what thought process goes into handle design, especially if the knife is custom made for a client? Client, I have made some kitchen knives for my granddaughter, who was very small. Oh, fuck you too. I made some kitchen knives for my granddaughter who has very small hands. So I measured the width of her natural grip and made the handle size according to this measurement. Is there any advice, guidelines on handle design, size, or is it just a case of what the knife maker decides looks aesthetically pleasing? Thanks. Well. Okay. You go for it, Kev. You probably put more thought into this. Mine are... Well, yes, Not there's, so much. Oh, there's I, a general rule that I apply for most situations with a knife, especially when you're doing hunting knives, and that's basically if the knife edge is over three inches, you want to have a five-inch handle. If the knife edge is three inches or under, you want to go to like just over four inches, nothing less than about 110 mil though. Because otherwise, when you go to that, it's just fucking tiny and it's just fucking useless. If you're measuring on this way that I, true, we got very small hands, and that's a very fucking racist, fucking generic, fucking sort of thing that you've implied there, Bert. No, it, it's yeah, it's man. true. Look at the, <laughs> look at a lot of the Japanese handles they come. Yeah. Oh, oh they have, fucking, yeah, the handles. Yeah, the handles, yeah. fucking sumo. <laughs> Godzilla <laughs> Godzilla Anyway If you want to measure The Like the hand size It's not measuring across the hand Like from your Index finger to your little finger You measure from the crease At your index finger To the fat part of your palm Diagonally across your hand If that makes sense because when you hold a knife, unless you're doing some crazy psycho movie stabby stab in the shower thing, you're not going to hold it across, like vertically, vertically or like horizontally across from your <laughs> index to your little finger. When you hold a knife, it's going to be diagonal across your hand. And normally, most people's hands don't very much past like 120 mil, so that roughly that five inch mark. The thing which then comes into play is the diameter of the handle. Like length is one thing, it's the girth that is the other thing. Like if you've got someone with big meat axe hands, they're going to need a big handle. If you've got someone with smaller hands, they might want something a little bit more petite. Gentlemen, your view on that? Mike, look, I agree, right? I've always made my hand, my handles the ten and a ten and a quarter, ten and a half inches as a standard sort of thing, because that's what I was always told. But if you are going to be a bit custom about it, I'd, I'd probably agree with Kev. I don't really know, because for the last 
yep. six, seven years, I've only made barrel knives and, and that's just what it is. So that's like six of them. That's pretty much right. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Kev. You get a lot of you get a lot of mileage out of six knives, man. <laughs> Fucking know if I get a lot of mileage out of six knives, man. Okay, fuck, man. So anyway, what are we talking about? Oh, handle size. So yeah, the the the, the thing is though, when you settle on your handle size, go a little bit bigger. Always go a little bit bigger. Don't go too small on a handle side. No one ever picked up a knife and said this handle size is too big. Oh, well, they did, but it's more rare and more common that people will pick up a knife and say it's too small yes one of the one of the biggest faults that i see when we're at knife shows and you go wander around you look at new makers knives is you pick up their knives and their handles are well and truly out of proportion to the blade generally on the shorter side so you can get away with actually having a much bigger especially on chef knives and stuff you can get away with actually having a much longer handle than if we lost him. Yep. Kevin is just connecting. Kev's fucked. Kev has left the building. Fucking so he He's probably just talking to himself. How long do you think it's going to be before he realizes he's gone? Oh, he's probably still talking, man. Probably still talking. Let's see if I can piss him off. He probably asked you a question, and because he didn't reply, he's getting mad at you now. Yeah, he's probably saying, Fuck, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> Nah, he's gone. All right, I'll get him back in. Best episode ever. Fucking grouse. Oh, he's back. Dropped out, motherfuckers. <laughs> Guess who's back? I was taking photos of you. All right, same. No, I was just saying you can get away with a longer handle more so than a shorter handle. I just said that. You're copying me. You just copied me. You fucking ripped me off. Yeah. I. I said it first. Not, I'm the fucking guy. I'm the guy editing. I think so you're it'll drunk. be however I fucking want it to be, my boy. <laughs> True that. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> All right. Did we cover that? Yeah, I think so. I think we did. And it has to look aesthetically pleasing as well. So that yeah. that does does come into it. You can't you can't move away from aesthetically pleasing. I've done it before, but only to a guy that uh, wanted a blade of a certain size and his hands were super arthritic and the knife handle had to be a sort of certain shape for him to be able to grip it. And um, it looked really fucking weird, but, you know, it was for a, for a particular application. He was super happy, so. Yeah, I have a friend that has, his dad has like absolutely fucking monstrous hands and we're making this knife and he goes, no, no, I need the handle to be like 140 mil long, and the fucking diameter of this thing was crazy. And I was just like, it looks fucking shit. The knife looks like shit. No way. But then he's like, next time you see my dad, shake hands with him and you'll understand. So next time I saw this fella's dad, I shook hands with him. And I was like, Andre the fucking giant. Like, I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> All right. So that was uh, on Instagram. Check him out. Like his page. His uh, Instagram is at Douglas, D-O-U-G-L-A-S. Ivins, I-V-I-N-S, one word. Good on you, mate. Thanks for asking the question. Sorry we we are what we are, but we're, you know, we've got to piss with the dick we got. That's good. At Douglas Evans. Cheers. Cheers, Doug. Cheers, boys. Cheers. Oh, fuck. You guys are fucking... I'm down, I'm down past the fucking bottom of the label. Oh, yeah. you're nearly empty. All right. <laughs> no. With the ones I had before dinner, nine, yay. <laughs>
I got oh, mine on it. Okay, boom, boom. Uh, the next question is, be fucked if I know from Wade Robinson. Oh, no, that's sorry. Wade, Wade, Wade Robinson. Right. What a, <laughs> do you want me to read this one? Because it's a bit long, Kev. It's a lot of words. Hey, Wade Robinson asked a good question. I saw his question. Right up. What are some good methods for simplifying hidden tank kitchen knife handle construction? Yeah, you read it. I've seen some people <laughs> use a dowel with a slot and a counter bore. The slotted bolsters, bolster are. I've seen some people use a dowel with a slot and counter bore. I've seen some people use a dowel with There's a, a slot lot of and slow down. Bore. Slow down. There's a lot of words here. The slotted bolster are. <laughs> oh fuck, dude! I'm too drunk. I can't work that out. I've also seen others slot the whole hand. <laughs> <laughs> Keep this done. Don't edit this shit. <laughs> I've also... You better not edit this shit. No, 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 I'm doing all right. I'm not drunk. <laughs> Fucking fine. I can drive a car. Not. Job A to read it. I've also seen others... <laughs> Funny thing today. Funny thing tonight. Fuck this guy. This... I'm down at the... Um, I had a glass of whiskey before. Like I said, it was like a tumbler glass. And I've wandered over to the lathe and I thought, fuck, I'm good. I'm good. I'm golden. <laughs> But I didn't put my lathe thongs on, Kev. I took a photo for you. I'll show you. It was bad. They're not like forging slippers oh, either. For fuck's sake. Lathe thongs. You need lathe thongs or you're fucked. Anyway. I'll... Those sharp, hot, curly, metal oh. <laughs> We're currently seeing a picture of Corrin's foot with heaps of fucking... Bits of metal stuck in it. Drunk lathing. I should fucking, I need to put a key on there that like you have to, you know, when you, you're really bad, a serial offender, you have to blow in the fucking tube before you can, you have to blow before it. you can use the lathe. It's the, it's the tool I walk to most when I'm drunk. The only problem with something like that is that none of, like you and none of your <laughs> visitors could operate your machinery after sort of mid afternoon. It's a fair call. Okay. When we're up with you. It doesn't matter if you're up here or not. But anyway. All right. So here we so go. So did you want, <clears throat> oh, no, did you want to have another crack thing. I'm going to start from the beginning again. What are some good methods for simplifying hidden tank kitchen knife handle construction? I've seen some people use a dowel with a slot and a counterbore. The slotted bolster are. I've also seen others slot the whole handle. What's the easiest and what methods do you use? I love hidden tank handles. They're my fave. But you guys go first because you do too. Same. Go for nah, it. Nah, fuck. I love them. Mert does the most. You go for it, man. So I do two different types of kitchen handles. All of my knives are hidden tank. I do either a Japanese style or Western style with the metal bolster, metal guard, and with the single piece of wood that has been uh, carved to shape. So if I'm using Western style handle, I usually drill two holes on top of each other. Then I connect them with the the broaching with the broach, and I make sure that width of the hole that's going to fit the tank. So by the time I add my bolster or the guard, there's not enough movement, so it fits perfectly. And if I do a Japanese style handle, I usually allow 13 mil, 13 mil uh, tank width, and I do a dowel that's made out of a balsa from Bunnings and. I just slot that, and I don't know if it gets any easier than that. I don't worry about 
I don't worry about like slotting the whole handle, but my usually the dowel goes to at least 10 centimeters or long. So it runs through the almost entire handle. Yeah, that's that's what I do. I think they're both easy methods. So so sorry, you put a you drill a hot. I fucking don't get it, man. I know, I understand. Okay, right. I've had a few, but no. you got you got to remember hang our hang listeners on. have probably had a few too. He's walked off to show me. It's not going to help anyone. This is turning to shit. It's not going to help anyone. At least I can elaborate better, motherfucker. Okay. Whole piece of block of wood. Okay. So he gets a block of wood. Puts the lotion on the skin. Puts the lotion on his skin. That fuck off. (laughs) I shall get the hose again. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Okay, so you've got your, your dowel in your hand and some lotion. Now, what do we do? Okay, this is Japanese style. Right. I have uh, two pieces of timber. One, the top one is about three centimeters, and the bottom is probably 12 to 13 centimeters. So the... What's that in millimeters? Hole, just put a fucking zero at the end of it, dumb dick face. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the top part is 25 to 20 mil, and the bottom, I will say, is around 1,200 to 1,300 mil. The tanks... <laughs> 1,300? Oh, he's just... He's doing his best. Did you say 1,300 mil? 1,200 mil. 1,200 mil? That's a fucking long handle, dude. Oh, it's shit. Fucking... I think we've lost him. He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> He's going to get a ruler. He's going to get a ruler. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you can't! 120 mil, man. 120. It's... Hun- <laughs> Bitch, please. He's showing us a ruler. <laughs> and his his wood is 120 mil. Handle wood. <laughs> And the tip on it is only twenty mil. <laughs> the tip of Just it, the tip. the tip of it is much darker. Twenty. Purple. It's purple heart. Purple. <laughs> 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 yeah, most favourite combo: purple head timber. Okay, so we, look, let's get back. This is a serious question, right? Okay. Wade Robinson asked this, expecting problem. a serious answer. So my, I bored out the top of the part, and so. Probably five, six mil mil below the tip of the bolster, there's a yeah. deep hole that's thirteen mil wide. Yep. Runs all the way to the almost at the end of the handle. I get it. So it's like at least yeah, and I have a I have a thirteen mil dowel in it that's already slotted, so <clears throat> you can see Yeah, that looks awesome. But how do you slot the dowel? Oh uh, table saw. And then so you just put two halves in there. No, I don't cut it all the way. I leave the end intact because once once you cut them both, it just gets fucked. I leave the end intact. So oh, the- right. So the end that's jamming right down the back of the handle. Right. I'm fucking with you. So it's like a cotter pin. Like like an old... I just like put a an- super, super glue at the very end yeah. of the... Push it all the way in. It connects with the base of the handle and it sticks up. Then you just connect the whole thing and you can see from the video the- that is so fucking sly can you imagine if I did that in a barrel knife that, that's fucked you are cheating 
You're a cheat. That's like CNC. You're out of the guild. <laughs> because I'm not in Victoria. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sam's biting words. <laughs> We're going to end up with like half an hour of fucking... <laughs> Bad reviews. <laughs> so unprofessional. Yeah. They know nothing. <laughs> Well, normally we normally we get an hour of review. All right, so so I get you now. So you slot the dowel, you slot the dowel on the table saw to fit the tang. The dowel goes into a round hole, which is easy to drill. You don't have to slot; works great. Only the bolster is slotted, and only then the f- the front three or four mil. That's all you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. I've never done that because um, in a barrel knife you couldn't hide that shit. I went up to Mert's house and he showed me his hidden tang dowel method and I was fucking blown away. That's pretty cool. And it was like blown away. That's it? Yeah. That, that's it? Yeah. I was like, that's it? No shit. Um, so the dowel method, if you want to do a handle off the blade, is the easiest way by far. Absolutely the easiest way okay. by far. Well. Mert, Mert's signaling that maybe there's another way that's easier. Can we pause for a minute? Mert's just going to go and piss in the corner of his shed. Outside, motherfucker. Oh. oh. <laughs> Outside, motherfucker. I don't even talk to my kids like that. He's still got his microphone on. <laughs> <laughs> Must want another peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> Oh, well, listeners, you asked for it. You got it. In isolation, we've become quite crazy. We've hit the bottle, and uh, two bottles, and I'm kind of enjoying it. A six pack. Well, Kaya is going to be confused as fuck tomorrow. He's going to be like. That's not my piss. What is this? But that's another episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. Okay. All right. So if um let's get just getting right back into the professional current. So Wade Robinson, thank you very much for the question. Uh, you can all follow Wade on Instagram at, at Wade Robinson. You're laughing, Mert, because you know what we cut out just there, but the rest of them don't and we'll just be quiet. Now, well, Wade's first Instagram address was quite funny, actually. Was it? Be, uh, <laughs> be fucked if I know. <laughs> I was like, be fucked if I know. What's your Instagram address, Wade? Uh, be fucked if I know. Yeah. He's Aussie as fuck, man. Yeah. Aussie as fuck. you got to follow him. Good on your way. Good on your way. Thank you, mate. Love your work. So the next... the next. Okay, yeah. so now the next one. It's two lines, so you're yeah. going to read it. Yeah, I got it. I see how the pattern forming here. Yeah, we'll get to the next one. It's yours because there's five lines. So the first, Peter Roberts, thank you, Peter. Quench plates, are they only used for stainless steel and is there different thicknesses for different size steels? Thanks. Well, we just touched upon it with the last question or last answer regarding the mythical carbon steel quenched in plates. Pretty much you want to use an air hardening steel quenched in aluminium plates. The standard quench plate size is normally one inch thick correct going even thicker yeah one inch but but the thing with it is the thing with it is the most important thing is that your plates are cool before you quench the next blade 
So, you know, if, if they're one inch or two inch or whatever, it doesn't really matter how big the knife is. So long as uh, before you quench the next blade, you've cooled them off, chucked them in a bucket of water, cooled them down somehow. Mert, what do you want to say? I don't have any inappropriate. No. Not, nothing. We'll just edit this. Ke- Kev, Kev is still gone. We'll edit this part. Fucking hell. Fucking Kev. Maybe I should say, like, quench plates are, like, the, the thicker the better. <laughs> quench plates are, like... Look... As Mert says, the quench plates are like dicks. Because of, yeah, yeah, you can do that, Mert. Yeah. Say it. Go on. I'll, I'll let it in. No. Come on, Kev. I'm trying to get him back in, mate. Oh. Sorry, he's gone. Kev Hussain. He's in the nation's capital. Yeah, Kev Hussain. Come on. Kev didn't answer. He can do it. There is a reason I keep saying fuck you, Kev. Kevin. Kevin. Do you know the problem with doing an evening podcast, mate? It's my head. Do you know the problem with doing an evening podcast? My internet is shit. Because your neighbor is using Pornhub and downloading all the fucking data. Because you live in Canberra and all of the fucking pollies are on the porn. That's the fucking problem. No, that's the fucking problem. Those fucking politicians watching their porn, it's killing the... It's better during the day, you know, when they're doing nothing. You're going to get cancelled. So cancelled after this episode. Oh, fuck. Can't get anywhere. But yeah, we can probably, actually. I won't challenge anyone. Okay, so the main thing is, do you need different plates for different size steels? We're saying, so long as they're thick enough to get the heat out of your steel to quench it, we wouldn't use them for carbon steels. Know of people that do. Do your own research on that. Don't do it without proper hardness testing equipment. Yeah. And um, we can just move on from that one, can't we, guys? Is that done? Yep, agreed. Peter, yep. Peter Roberts, 889 is... Peter, dot Roberts, 889 is his Instagram. And uh, you guys jump on there, give him a follow, see what he makes. And... Um, yeah, I don't see the fascination. As we said before, we covered that. Okay, so we've got Brookdale Forge, Scott Gregan. That's a big name on Facebook. Brookdale Forge, Scott Gregan. It's a lot of lines, three, so Kev won't read it. Of you could move back in time, what location and time would you go to to see the best knife-making period? What masters and the such would you would under? Could you want me to read that again? That didn't make any sense to me. You all right there, Kev? Oh, fuck. We lost Kev again. Fuck you, Kev. Fuck you, Kev. Fuck you, Kev. Fuck you. Motherfucking Kev. I'll try and get him back. Just wait. Oh, fucking hell, Slut. What are you doing? Uh, What are you doing, Slut? My internet's fucked. No, you're fucked. It's not your internet. Um, Stop trying to blame technology. <laughs> I sound like me. Okay. I'm going to read this question again. You sound like me. Of you could move back. <laughs> oh, fuck you two fucking fuck knuckles. Right. Of you could move back in time. What location and time would you go to to see the best knife making period? What masters and the such would you would under? Go, Kev. Bye. If you could move back in time. What location and time would you go to to see the best knife-making period? What masters and the such would you work under? I'm going to go with that. That makes more sense yeah. than what I read. And my internet's working again, so I, I think present day is fine. Like Honestly, there's a few guys um, that if you get in there in their earlier days, like Don Fogg, for example, absolutely fucking go under him if you could. But the current day has so many fucking master smiths of absolute fucking awesome talent. You've, you've got to, you know, there's too, there's too many to choose from. 
spoil for choice. Yeah. No, being as my fetish is for barrel knives, I'd love to go back to Eskil Stuna back in the day when they were being made back at the, you know, back in the 1800s, 1900s, and, you know, see the factories that turned them out. But I wouldn't really want to study under that because, you know, I'm not making production stuff, you know, I'm making top end stuff. So I don't want to, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, yeah, I, I reckon present day. Oh, look at Kev. Look at you. Fuck yeah, I'm making top end stuff, man. <laughs> Fuck it. I just pull on faces at Corin because that's what we do with podcast. No, you're right though. Like there's so many good master smiths around, and it's even like a stack of um, fucking unreal journeyman smith around too that you could probably just go and fucking hang out with them and make fucking heaps of stuff. We got the two of them in Australia. We got Bruce and um, Keith, who are old old school journeyman smith. Jackson. We got fucking. Um, What's his head? Tobol. Barry. Barry Tobol. Uh, who was the other one that we had up there? Fucking heaps. Mate. Yeah. There are so many, even in Australia, there's so many. I just, I could soak up all the knowledge I could out of guys like Sean McIntyre, Tobol, and Jackson Rumble and guys like that. I could just work with them for weeks and suck up all their knowledge and still be shh pretty special yeah but have a lot more information that you have a lot more information that you couldn't put into fucking practice yeah no those guys are phenomenal and the work being put out these days everyone's trying to one-up on what was done in history and the technology and the skills and yeah i don't think i want to go i i still i just want to spend my time locally what about you mert you want to go back to the hong chong period in japanese knife making no fuck that i wouldn't mind going to 16th century 16th century Damascus or Cairo. Look, it's it's nice that we get all the luxury of today and all the information is in our hand, but seeing what people did in that time with what they had and the tools they had and the steel they produced and the golds and stuff on it, it's fucking I can't I can't still get my head around it. I can't is that still before think is that before or after the pyramids? Oh fuck, that's you delinquent cunt. <laughs> <laughs> that's way later. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's way later for you. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't have to post. You wouldn't have to keep up with the Instagram. You wouldn't have to be like, oh, I make yeah. a knife. This is my feelings. I gotta push my craft harder. The bullshit and all that. Try just fucking try. Just make throw back, throw back Thursday or throw up Thursday. <laughs> Throwback Thursday, hashtag 1600. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my master replaced my replaced me with another slave. Hashtag LOL shit. And, no, like that's, I really appreciate what they've done with the tools they had and the stuff they produced. They didn't make excuses, did they? They got in and did stuff that we can't. Like these days we do it with all these fancy wacky tools, but back then they didn't have fancy awesome grinders or anything like that, and they yeah. still did it. They just yeah. didn't make excuses. Yeah. Hashtag blessed. All right. So what do we got? Dan Stanley. He's got a fairly uh, contentious question. Uh, no, no, we got hey, <clears throat> Just stop, just stop. Cut that, cut right. that out. No, no, because we've got a shout-out to Brookdale Forge on Instagram. That was um, Brookdale Scott Gregan. Brook, Brookdale Forge Scott Gregan. Scott. Brookdale Forge on Instagram. Right, your turn. This has got lots of lines. Kev, you sure you're comfortable with that, mate? Oh, yeah. If my internet holds up and I'm using the internet as an excuse. Stan Stanley. Thanks, Stan. 
There were no Master Smiths in the ABS before 1981, and that meant that the first MS weren't judged by MS, and they didn't take any ABS-approved courses. What do you guys see as the future of Australian bladesmithing in regards to our own system for Australian-rated MS or JS? Interested in your thoughts on this subject? Stan, Jeff. What, I can, what I can say straight up is can of worms. Can of worms. Kev, you're an ABS. Uh, I'm an ABS apprentice. apprentice. Yes, me too. Correct, yeah. And yeah. you are the full member at the guild. Correct. So if you were to pass the journeyman smith test, would you put the journeyman smith JS on your blades? Yes, absolutely. When you go, when you go to blades, do you take the Australian Knife Makers Guild thing? Do you put that on your table? No, partly because it's more stuff to carry in my bag, and partly because it's and I don't mean this in a harsh way, but it's irrelevant over at Blade Show. It's irrelevant in America. The, the Australian Knife Makers Guild doesn't really hold much weight in terms of what's happening over there and it's a sad thing it really is if you're a member Vice of the versa, South, if, you well, were a if you're a member of the south african guild if you're a member yeah. of the south african guild that is you know uh, an incredible achievement the australian knife makers guild has set up a standards document to you know for want of a better term to weed out people trying to get their membership it, it's put a black and white 20 steps of what you need to achieve and what you're going to get judged on to make full member into the Australian Knife Makers Guild, which is something that was missing for a fair amount of time. And, you know, there's still a lot of work to go in the guild. It's progressing along. But when you look at it in terms of the ABS side of things and the Master Smiths and the Journeyman Smiths, it's just a completely different level. It really is. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm not opposed to guild whatsoever. Like, I'm a, I was... A, I've been a probationary member for a long time. I just didn't didn't finish any more knives to submit for another testing whatsoever. But I think ABS is worldwide respected and known. You might be better off just if you keep your if you be a journeyman smith, you might be better off just using that one or use that as your as your credential. Well, that's it, and it's. But what he's asking is, what do you guys see as the future of Australian bladesmithing in regards to our own system for Australian-rated master smith or journey smith, journeyman smith? Interested in your thoughts on this? Is there's no none of that in Australia. There's no journeyman smith. No, he knows that. He's talking about the future. Uh, the future is very hazy. I think Kevin said it best when he said can of worms. We were at a symposium a few years ago where this was raised. Why don't we have a testing system here in Australia? And people didn't want to know anything about it. And those people that didn't want to know anything about it were the guys that had done the testing in America. I'm not being critical of that, but I can understand where they're coming from. Like those guys have tested in the States and they've gone over to the States and there's a system there and there's really great makers that can assess you. There's no argument that the people that assess you are really great makers. Over here, who do you put as the top of the tree to get started? And then there's the thing of what about all the fantastic makers that don't forge? They're stock removalists. Well, wouldn't you have a system that covers both? 
think about this way. Glenn Waters, one of the best Australian makers, I will say, in terms of the creativity and fit and finish and all that. He doesn't forge his blades. He doesn't even heat it his own blades. Peter Del Rasso, same story. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Del Rasso is one of the best in the world. But like I said, in terms of the blade smithing side of things, if that's what you're looking at, He's never going to make it because he doesn't forge his blades. And it's just that. And he works with stainless. When you mention stainless, the people in blade and ABS, they put their fucking hazmat suits on. It's like, oh, oh stainless. Yeah. We, don't, we don't know what that is. Like, a fuck, stainless. Is that coronavirus? No, it's just stainless. Some of the best knife-making materials in the world now are stainless. So by having a system that doesn't acknowledge the fact that that's the case... I think we'd be cutting our nose off to spite our face. I would love, though, the, the question is, what's my opinion? Or what's my thoughts? My thoughts is I'd love to see an Australian-based system that recognised a, a person's skill at making knives in all facets of knife making, and that must include heat treating. Correct. Yep. Yep. A whole of scenario, all-encompassing. But I don't want to be the, the one to start it because people won't like me anymore. Nah, well, I, most people don't like me anyway, so I don't give a fuck about that sort of shit anymore. No, yeah, me too, probably. <laughs> right, so, yeah. Stan Stanley. Like Mert. Mert's just relying on his stunning good looks. <laughs> good looks. I fucking shaved my face today and I realized, fuck, I remember why I was leaving a beard. I thought you had a Brazilian, but it turns out that's not yet. Oh. No, Turkish. He's Turkish, not Brazilian. Stan's okay, so that was from at stan.stanley.64. So, what do you guys think? Why don't you get onto our group, Knife Making Down Under? Get on there and discuss Stan's suggestion there. Of well, it's not really a suggestion, but you know, tell us your thoughts on having an Australian grading system for knife makers, how you'd like to see it run. It'd be interesting to um, to hear people's thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly don't think we can finish that can of work. Side of question What if you are a stainless maker but you grind your blades versus Somebody who's forging uh, puts on a fucking CNC. Is CNC an acceptable method? Oh. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of skill. So, you know, this is a really good topic of conversation and one that we're probably running out for out of time for tonight. Yeah. So let's go to Nicholas Tanner. I'm interested in attaining better fit and finish. Well, welcome to our lives, Nick. Well done, son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a guy on YouTube. His name is... His name is Nick Wheeler. Put on a fucking blast and just watch it over and over and fucking again. And uh, and Kyle Royer. He goes on to say, guard fitting. I love Nick. Nick, good on you, mate. <laughs> this is a good shout out for you. But guard fitting, bedding tanks, heirloom fits, stone pins, raising the bar from the good to great fit and finish. This isn't a question. It's a statement. So you fucked up, dude. So I can't really help you. But you can follow Nick at Nick underscore W, underscore Tanner. Nick, we're with you. We want to get better too. So uh, figure it out as a question. We'll go from there. All right, next one. Sorry, dude, but I have had a way lot of whiskey. Marty Jelinek. Yes. <laughs> Marty Jelinek. Marty. Good on you, Marty. Thanks for the question. Kev, do you want to read it? Because it's like five lines. Righto. It says, righto, fellas. Oils and surface finishes on high-carbon blades once they're done. Recommended continual preventative measures for for the customer as a far as keeping a blade in top shape. I have stuff I use. Just curious what your thoughts are. 
Cheers. Rex. I think that's recommendations. Yeah, yeah Rex. Cheers. Yeah, okay, cool. So um, I use, um, on my blades, I use stainless steels. And if on any surfaces, like, for example, bronze or silver or anything that I don't want to tarnish too bad, I use a very, very, very light film of Renaissance wax. That's that's what I do. Yes, I stressed this when I was at the symposium talking about my um, guard fittings and stuff. If you're using Renaissance wax, museum wax, whatever you want to call it, a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of that shit, minimal, minimal. Otherwise, you're fucked. And we saw a post recently on Facebook Why? where someone had put, it sets rock fucking hard. If you put it on and you can see a waxy coating, that shit sets like fucking rock. And it will take you fucking, and I'm speaking from experience here, it will take you a long, long, long fucking time of rubbing with a fucking microfiber cloth to get that shit fucking buffed. The way I do it is I rest my finger on it. So the warmth of my finger will melt a tiny bit of oil. And then I smear that very gently, very lightly over the blade. And then I wipe it off before it even sets. And that process of wiping you, it off. Then I asked you, you said you weren't using your finger. Well, Just like that was just like and that was warm that was warm vaseline not warm uh renaissance wax <laughs> <clears throat> okay so that's what that's why tiny, you bought the big jar huh big jar. <laughs> it is but that tiny layer of museum wax on a carbon steel blade doesn't last forever. And then you want your customers to to at least acknowledge or be aware of the fact that their blades are going to patina. Carbon steel patinas. It is a known fact. And if it's not a known fact for your customers, you need to let them know before they buy that knife that it's not going to look as good as when the day they get it. Yeah. As soon as they start using it, it's going to change. And that change is something they should accept as the the story of that use of that knife. And sometimes I see people put a certificate with a knife, like a lot of guys, will, not a lot, but there are guys out there that put a certificate with a knife that say this knife is made of carbon steel, it will patina. You you know, had to look after it. Look, customers aren't going to have Renaissance wax. So I like to stick to materials that aren't going to be a, a problem for me. But if you are doing carbon blades, which is what the question's about, then I, it depends on the purpose of the knife, but I would recommend using a, a food-safe oil. And the one that I would normally recommend is the Camellia or Magnolia oil. What's the one that we... Yeah. Yeah, Camellia oil? Magnolia. Either of them, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're great oils. You get them from the Japanese um, Japanese uh, supply stores. Japanese Knife and Tool probably sell them. Who else sells them? Yep. Yeah. eBay. eBay. Yeah. Nine bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks with shipping. Worst case scenario. Yeah bottle of it's going to last you for ages and you know get the tell your customer to buy a bottle or throw a bottle in with the knife and charge them they also sell like tiny ones for like a few bucks that you can include in your package there you go i didn't i did not know that you love including them in your package or or you could just use <laughs> some other type of steel but we won't go there so happy days because carbon steels are good too i just got another few fingers of whiskey here to keep me going so Recording shortly. Watch your Instagram. Oh, that's my message. Got, got a piss. Got a piss. Just a minute. 
in tip-top shape. Yeah, they, they, they've got to be aware of what's going to happen. Oh. That's good. Blah, blah, blah. Fuck Kev. Yep, that's a good idea. Kev. Marty.jelnik. Marty.jelnik's his Instagram account. Marty.jelinek, which is M-A-R-T-Y dot J-E-L-I-N-E-K-E. <clears throat> Sorry, Mert's just uh, disappeared to go and feed his kids a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Richard, Richard frickin' Morgan. Richard Morgan. No, Richard frickin' Morgan. Richard, don't they call him like um, Angry Ranger or something? I don't know. They call him Heartland Forge, but it's not spelt like a heart or a hearth. It's spelt like a art as in fart. Fartland Forge. Fartland Forge. <laughs> Two more coins. All right, Heartland Forge. Oh, fuck. There's a word from our sponsor. Plowing through this fucking shit. Here I am thinking, oh, this will be a quick, easy episode. Favourite handle material to use and one that you absolutely hate. What's your favourite handle material to use and one that you absolutely hate? Favourite timber, hate G10. You hate G10? For like, Fair enough. For a full What do you like, Mert? Favourite to use is Dalbergia or Rosewood species and Gigi. My absolute fucking hate is the shit maple burn. If it's dyed, double fucking hate it. Fucking maple burn. Dyed maple burn. Yeah, part of your soul dies every time someone uses it. So, yeah, well, that's fair enough. Me, I like, uh, I, I just like anything that fucking... It's a barrel knife. Mark Sinclair's, anything that Mark Sinclair stabilizes is great. And I love G10, so I don't know what your problem is. I love my Carter. Yeah, don't fucking make faces. It's not my fault you're incompetent. It's dirty. It's dirty, horrible stuff, and it fucks belts. It's not dirty. And it doesn't get a fucking shiny finish. Oh, really? It's Have you met Buffer before? What? Have you met Buffer? My God. You you put... He doesn't know. He doesn't know. What's your question, mate? Buffer plus G10, shiny as fuck. Okay, that's the equation. Bull- yeah. Bullshit. He only finishes his handles to 180 grit anyway, so don't worry about it. Oh! <laughs> Fucking 120. 120. <laughs> I want my handle finish to be higher than my blade finish. So... I finish my, hand, I finish my handles at 120. <laughs> I don't think I have a handle material that I absolutely hate, except for probably something like, you know, River Red Gum or something. Carbon which, fiber. No, fuck, I love carbon fibre. I love it. I've made some nice knives in carbon fibre. Carbon fibre, like, I have a fucking love and hate relationship. It buffs up super nice, but it's... What? It's easy to grind. You can't... Drilling it and machining it's hard, but grinding it's easy. Yeah, grinding is easy with the, all the fucking dust going in your lungs and shit. And... It's like fucking black fucking cocaine, mate. It does good shit. <laughs> doesn't get you high, motherfucker. No, it doesn't, but it looks nice. And if you're thinking it's a good idea to snort carbon fiber dust, goodbye. Okay, so I knew a guy by the name of Damien Cowper. He was the guy that originally fucking got into my head to start a bolt buy on steel. Damien Cowper, shout out to you. Great guy. <clears throat> Damien provided me wing panels from Boeing Aircraft and 
fuck, I love carbon fiber. And I've still got some of that material somewhere because on account of I don't use it. Really? Fucking yeah. great, man. Yeah. Fucking great. Carbon fiber. I'm message you later tonight. Yeah, I'm sure you will, cunt. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, there we go. My question is, has... <laughs> Hashtag block by. Okay, so we got one from Sausage Man... F- oh, no, hang on. Was What's his? What's Heartland Forge? Is that his Instagram? Yeah, Heartland Forge. Or if you want to go to his... That'll do. It's too late in the night anyway. His alter ego, Fartland Forge. So this is a two-part question, and it's uh, from Jamie Bishop, and there's one here from Brett Selly. And the first part of the question is, my question is, has Kev's rash cleared up yet? And Brett's question is, Jamie, how did you give it to him? That's Jamie Bishop, Sausage Man Forge. So you should all know Jamie Bishop by now because he is a industry legend. Well, first of all, Jamie, I love you. I love you like a father, a brother, and any other sexual pervert type label I could put on you. <laughs> the rash is still there. The cure for the rash is Cheese Kransky at Aldi, and they've sold out. What? You've got to put it in your mouth. Panic buying Cheese Kransky. Yeah, there's no toilet paper, and there's no Cheese fucking Kransky at Aldi. They've only got worst and fucking Bratwurst or whatever it is, and normal Kransky. Without the cheese, it's no good. No. Brett Sally. You don't find out how he gave me the rash. You just never find out. What what happens what happens at Kev's Forge stays at Kev's Forge, right? Yeah. What happens in Sausage Man's Caravan stays in Sausage Man's Caravan. Just way too much information for most of us already right there. Okay, so the next one. I was promised a bag of lollies and I never got it. All right, we've got two more. So let's just fucking get it done. Peter oh. Roberts. Hi, is there any reason my quench tank can't be galvanized? I'm aware of the fumes. If you heat it up, etc. Oh, fuck. That was some whiskey there. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry. I'm aware of the fumes if you really heat it up, etc. Thought I'd ask before making two tanks. Dude, get over it. Fucking, there's nothing wrong with gal. You can chuck gal in your forge. You can make anything out what? of it. What? Except if it gets hot. Just don't worry. Just let me quantify that statement. If it gets hot and the gal starts to burn, which has to be over about 600 degrees Celsius, it's fairly hot, smoke is going to come off that gal. That will fuck you up. However, don't breathe that smoke in. You'll be fine. So what we used to do is burn gal off stuff by wheeling the forge outside in the fresh air, chuck a piece of gal in there, burn the gal off in the fresh air, come back when the smoke's cleared. Happy fucking days. Quench tank's never going to get that hot. Happy days. And Mert's looking at me like I just fucking deep-throated a fucking calypso or something. <laughs> Thoughts, Mert? What, Mert? Well, Thoughts. Mert's got different things to say. No, no, it's all good. I'm trying to get to you. No, Mert, you say it. You t- don't be a yes man, no. Mert. Don't be a yes oh. man. Tell it like you see oh. it. Yeah. If you think we're wrong, you tell us and we'll tell you you're wrong. Fuck you, kid. <laughs> <laughs> So Mert wouldn't use gal anywhere near anything. Um, quench tanks and shit like that. And uh, what else? I use it in the... What the fuck I use it for? Angle iron and shit, yes. But anything that gets near hot. Because I know myself, I'll forget it. I know the dangers. Like I know if you're smart, you can avoid the dangers. But... I try not to buy anything galvanized just in case I forget that it's galvanized and I do something stupid with it. That's why. You've never had a good case of 
Oh, fuck me. You've never had a good case of zinc poisoning then, Mert? No. Because I did it. I did it. It, I've been there. It's better than snorting carbon fibre. It's not a happy place. (laughs) I was melting a brass alloy high in zinc. And the fumes are the fumes got a bit heady, and I it fucked me up for a few days, and it's not a pretty place. But look, it's just fine if you don't breathe it in. No, I, I know, I get it, but I try not to buy any zinc and galvanize. Excuse me, shit, because I know I'll I'm, it won't be marked. I'll put it in the corner of my shed, and sometime I try to make something with the fucking. I'll, I'll definitely fucking heat it up. I'll, I'll forget it and I'll be like, oh, let me just hit my fucking oil and I'll fucking use the galvan. I'll be laying on the floor and fucking foam in the mouth and shit. So that's why. Okay. So so don't use gal if you're an idiot. Okay. Now we've all agreed on that. So the next question comes from. Fuck you. <laughs> the next question comes from Matt Snape and it's via PM. And it says, thought you might be the people to answer this question. I've gone and bought an incline power press. What the fuck have I done? Spent too much time with Kev. Hey, what the fuck was that? Uh, and then he goes on to say, tell Kev, fuck you. Oh, he's a good guy. Hey, Matt Snape. Just um, putting it out there. Yep, Kev says, fuck, he says, fuck you, Kev. He doesn't know me, but I laugh every time one of you say it. Hmm, fair enough. Fuck you, Kev. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Mert's trying not to say it. <laughs> All right, fuck, we're done. Good on you, man. You bought a power press. We're done. Uh, you need to talk to a guy by the name of Jimmy, James Doherty. I'll put you in touch with him. We can get you sorted out. All right, Jimmy will buy it off you because on account of Jimmy, can't help himself. Now, <clears throat> I I don't think I think that wraps it up, boys. It's been two hours, and by the time we edit this down, it'll be about an hour and ten. Shit. Mer- fuck it, Kev's off on his phone anyway, so we've lost him. Uh, get off the fucking phone, you old. Oh. Uh, I'm a fucking not a boomer. Don't you fucking call me a boomer. Look, You're about to call me a boomer. Look, lockdown is tough. I'm a Gen Xer. Lockdown is tough. It's made tougher by people being cabbage. <clears throat> I'm going to start that again because I'm going to have to edit out the cabbage word from everything, I think. So, <laughs> good luck. Lockdown is tough. Put in cabbage. It's made tougher by people not looking after their mates. So, guys. Just putting it out there. We're here for our mates, and you got to be there for your mates. If you haven't rung three people every day to say hello and how how they're going and see what they're doing, uh, you're not doing your job as an Aussie mate. So fucking get in there, talk to your mates, and make sure that you um, that they're all cool and everyone's travelling good. Is that all we have to say? Is there anything else, guys? Carol Baskin fed her husband to tiger. That's what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> what am I missing? What am I missing? What are you talking about? And I want to give a shout out. I want Tiger to give King. a sh- <laughs> Netflix. Tiger King. Tiger King. Yeah. What the fuck? Never mind. Oh, never mind. I want to just give a shout out to JC Bladeworks. Him and I have been having some good conversations on Instagram. And uh, I can't repeat them on the podcast. But he's one of those guys. We're keeping in touch. We're having good fun. We're talking. We're taking the piss. It's good fun. So, JC Blade Work. You're having an emotional affair. That's what my wife said. You're having an emotional affair. Oh, really? You're saying you're having a threesome, emotional threesome tonight. (laughs) 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 And on that note, thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. We do.
Yeah, that's a wrap. Podcast.